For full accident management support, including motor replacement, repairs and personal injury compensation claims, just search G4 Claims today. Uh, hi and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by Dave Hook, uh, otherwise known as Solari from the hip-hop group Stanley Odd. Uh, Dave, thanks very much for your, for your time today. How are you doing, man? Yeah, no, my pleasure. Great to be here. <laughs> we were talking uh, before we, we started recording there. I'm very impressed with your studio set up behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's kind of... Um, I already had a working space, really, man, um, before lockdown, but... It became a bit more necessary, a bit more kind of um, immediate once we got ourselves into that situation. So uh, it's kind of just grown into a space where I can I can work. How's that been for for yourselves in terms of you know you personally and also Stanley Odd because it's such a strange time for everyone, especially in music. But it has had to make people adapt, hasn't it? And thinking new ways to to create as well. It has, man. Um, I mean, it's there's loads of angles to it, isn't there? In terms of the live stuff, obviously. We, like most other bands, lost a lot of work this year because um, nothing has really been able to take place. So for us personally, we had a small venue tour planned for Easter. We were looking forward to a summer of festivals. We were actually planning our album was meant to come out this week and we were meant to be doing a bigger tour. So none of that's happened. Um, so the live industry obviously is in, a, is in real disarray. At the same time, lots of interesting things have come out of it in terms of like distance collaboration and things. Sure. Um, I've done some cool projects where I've ended up having to do the, the bulk of them with people talking over Zoom like this and then you go away and work on a bit and then you sort of, and figuring out how you can actually write and maybe even film bits when you're all in different places. Totally. So, so that's been that's been an interesting bit of it. It's been quite cool. And how does that work, Dave? Then, because obviously all the shows have been postponed this year. Are they just getting put on to next year in the hope that everything's fine by then, or is it? I mean, yes. We'll need to see what happens, man. It's going to be the next few weeks and months. I think will be quite telling. So, for us, certainly, the the we we put the album release back until March next year, and. We had to reschedule dates that were initially in April. They were rescheduled to September. They've now been rescheduled to March, and we're, we're looking at whether panicking about that. I, I know, I about how that that might happen. Um, for, it also kind of allowed us to do a different approach to releasing music altogether. So instead, we've been putting these singles out every six weeks, which. Um, has its benefits in terms of being able to spend more time on individual songs. You know, normally I guess you would do two singles or something like that and then an album. Sure. Um, and doing a number of singles, because the other thing is we finished the record in lockdown, so we were close to finishing it anyway. And then the first month and a bit, we had a really productive period where everybody was sort of recording their own parts and sending them to Samson. He was mixing, producing them. Um, we had to post a microphone and an interface to Veronica and she did her, her vocals on her own and stuff, um, you know, and th- there was a lot of kind of excitement about that as well when it was all coming together. So, I mean, the record's done. So it's just like trying to find new ways of releasing it. Um, What's the usual writing process like for a, a group like yourselves? Because you're all, all over the place, I'd imagine. Do you usually write in the studio or do you usually, you know, get these recording pieces at home and send them to each other and... I mean, it's probably it's changed a bit over the years. So when we were starting out, which was 
over 10 years ago now. Um, does that make you feel old, David? It does a bit, man. I, we, were, you know, we were in a position at that age to spend all our days sort of hanging about together and working on tunes and like just messing about with stuff. And that does change as like time goes on where you get other commitments and stuff. Um, people have other commitments to other bands and other projects as well, you know. So this album probably took us about three years to make. It's been six years since an since we put an album out. Um, and uh, what we did, everybody wrote bits of music and ideas and then they all went up onto a cloud. And then we started booking like maybe four or five day studio sessions and staying wherever we were going to do it. Brilliant. Picking a handful of those songs and then sort of taking them apart and working on them. And we did that. We did that quite intensively for the last year and a half, and then uh, just pulled it all together in the last few months. That's exciting. What's what are you thinking for the, the release date of the album? Then, have you got an alternative from this week, or is? I I mean, well, it's supposed to be some point mid March I think we do have a date I can't remember when it is but it's, uh, we're, we're working towards the first couple of weeks in March really for getting it out and I think there'll be there'll be another single um, at the end of October probably one more before Christmas and then another one again before the album so hopefully three more singles because then it's, it's really nice to be able to do like a video for every single like this which normally we wouldn't have that many of them you know and, and actually spend time talking about more of the songs rather than you know you can you can ex- actually expand the narrative around a lot more of the songs which is nice you touched on the videos there Dave obviously your most recent single Kill Switch is the video is brilliant and you've, you've tied in with Panda who's a for those that don't know a, a graffiti artist in Glasgow who's quite famous for the, the big heads that you'll see around yeah there. yeah totally the song itself is absolutely brilliant it's, it's fantastic cheers man thank you but I think in, in terms of that song, for those that haven't heard it, you know, it's it's on YouTube, Spotify, or iTunes, all the usual places, but uh, it's called Kill Switch. And, and I just wanted to ask you a wee bit, Dave, about the, the writing process for that, because I think it's so relevant to just now. You know, the, the lyrics there are, are so hard-hitting, and it touches on so many different things from, you know, what, what I think, certainly in, in Lanarkshire, I know you were originally fair to yourself, but, you know, it, it touches on cheap cocaine, and I think that's a massive mm. problem uh, across Lanarkshire and for youth culture there as well, you know. All, all the way through to things like you know the, the Palestine struggle as well, and it's, it's it's a really really interesting piece of work that you've done. I do you know um, I'm pleased with how that tune turned out. It was actually written bits of the lyrics have been written at different points over the last two years, probably. So right. sometimes some of the songs it's like got a piece of music and it all happens and it's all come together quite quickly. And that one, some of those lyrics, like actually the chorus lyrics to that had been written even earlier started out for a project that I'd been working on that we never ended up coming out with with me and Louis and Scatterbrains many years ago and then got had the chorus came back again so I was like I'll start writing something for it over the last couple of years so some of the commentary has been in for a while and then other bits have been written more recently and then the last bits were actually written in lockdown so it's like spanned quite a long time but a lot of the same issues also come round again and again you know um and one of the things I like about hip-hop writing is you can do this sort of broad scattershot social observation stuff and um, you trust the listener to be able to sort of reassemble it and make sense of it in their heads. Do you know what I mean? So you can talk about Palestine and the Amazon rainforest and consumerism and then cocaine use um, and um 
public services disappearing and all these sorts of things. And and we as human beings are more than capable of reassembling that as like a broad kind of overview of the things that are going on round about us. Of course. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's, it's hip hop. It's, it's always as well been, in my opinion, quite deep heated or deep seated with, you know, politics as well. Be that hip hop in America or be that hip hop across the UK. And I suppose you, you've always had in the, the underlying tone of your writing is, you know, that sense of community and that sense of togetherness as well. And I think that really shines through in this song. more Well, all your songs, but this song more than ever. I, yeah, I think you're totally right, man, about the politics and the community and the cultural commentary. Um, it, it doesn't have to be overt political um, commentary, you know, referring to specific political acts without for it to be a have political impact. You know, everything around us has is, is affected by politics. Um, and hip-hop lends itself to talking about your community and where you come from. That's one of the big disconnects, I think, for people that don't know the the genre or don't know the musical community, where um, because of hip hop's sort of global success as as a commercial form, people don't necessarily, until they engage with it, realise that it's always about your roots and it's always about um, uh, sort of local referencing and storytelling. You know, and that's how that's again. I think why people think or have thought, and still probably do that hip hop, and can't people can't make hip hop in Scotland? You know, because if you think hip hop can only be this sort of um, commercial, limited sort of version of it that that might seem all about sort of um, braggadocio and uh, commercialism and all these sorts of things, then you think that doesn't really equate in any way to our life experiences in Scotland. You know, it's an interesting point there that you make because you know that. Over the years, you know, you, you've mentioned that you guys have been going for what eleven years now, over ten years, and th- there has been a bit of a stigma with Scottish hip hop. You know, certainly from the outside looking in, as to like, what are these white guys doing rapping, or you know, why why are these people doing this? That's an American thing. And for me yourself, like the young fathers as well, you've kind of flew that flag for Scottish hip hop, so to speak. You know, and it it's probably inspired so many other young people to get up off their arse, so to speak, and, and get out there and, and make music. I think it's interesting to see when you work, I, I work in community projects with young people um, and I work in songwriting projects in prisons as well, as well as teaching in more formal sort of educational circumstances at universities and colleges and stuff like that. Um, and young people, there's hip hop opens doors for young people to to express themselves. And, and it is that sort of disconnect, first of all, um, with a wider sort of Scottish culture I think where people say the exact same things that you've just said the barriers between like people's perceptions of hip hop and what hip hop's there for yeah and the, the thing for me is that hip hop has always been about local representation it's always you know it started out in the South Bronx like one borough of New York City you know and it was about telling the stories that represent the geography of where you come from and the lived experience and those are the things, the, the core elements, I think, that really resonate with people everywhere. But it does take a while to sort of filter that through and then reinterpret it for your own cultural experiences and then find ways of sort of making it work. Over the years, what, what barriers have you, or what have you seen has been the, the main barriers to, you know, to your growth as a group or, or even to you know, get, getting certain gigs or getting on certain bills? Because I'd imagine in the early days, there's lots of people thinking, what are these guys doing? This is new. I've never heard this before. It's it's strange. I'm not too sure about this. I I think um, 
the initial barriers that still exist some places are people don't know what to do with it <laughs> so because you don't fit into any neat little category or box that that people can go and because there isn't because hip-hop has historically always been an underground culture in Scotland there's not a existing infrastructure um for media and for airplay and for labels and all these things that exist elsewhere yep. so it's been a slow process of sort of integrating into a larger music community and I'd say that's been some of the barriers I mean Stanley Odd we were lucky in in that um when we started out we started to get some festival bills we were put on by some good people on festival bills and the doors that opened for us initially were probably because we were a live band as well as a hip-hop act, um, which meant maybe we got the doors opening for us a little bit where if it had been traditional DGMC thing, it, they, they weren't there yet. And it also provided us then with an opportunity the following year, the next time festival season came round, to go, well, can we create this stage for a few hours and we can put other hip-hop artists on and then we can start to sort of broaden folks' horizons. And the thing was, the, res- the result was excellent because the generally the reception at all the festivals went down a storm. So um, it was just about kind of even putting it on people's radar in the first place. It's funny you mentioned, you know, the, the radio playing things that I had, uh, the boys with LaFontaine's on the podcast a, a while back and, Similar, well, not too similar, but also, you know, kind of Scottish rap, so you could say. And and they said the same, you know, it's like we play gigs, gigs are always packed out, you know, people come along and the music's infectious, it's really enjoyable, upbeat, gets people moving. But then it's these radio players, you know, you're trying to bang down the like say Radio One or, or even local radio stations, and it just doesn't happen as easy because it's not as mainstream. That, that's it, and it's about finding a, a way to even get people to listen to it in the first place in these positions to try and open their eyes to it. Um, there's some rap artists now in Scotland that I think have a real um, great potential to open those doors. I think some of the, the next generation of artists, obviously Shogun, um, who's already done millions and millions of views on YouTube. He's linking up with um, established artists all around the UK. Um, and 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 there's other artists in that, that rap and grime and hip hop mould that um, are doing great stuff, and also I think have the potential to bridge those gaps. You know, like um, I think McCroy as well is another brilliant rapper that's kind of really kind of making waves with that that style and that flow. Um, but there's a range of of artists I think that fall into that category just now. So it'll be exciting to see what the next generation do. And I, and you, I mean, you, you're probably too humble to say this, but you, I think you just have to take a large degree of responsibility for that as well, you know, for, for paving the path for these artists. I think there's, I think it's interesting how it's developed. Um, there's a bunch of folks that have helped to widen the reach of hip-hop in the last 20, 30 years, you know, and each of the sort of generations um, have done, put the work in to help kind of reach a wider audience and normalise rap and normalise Scottish accent and voice and music, yep. you know? Um, so, like, Steg G and the Freestyle Master and Two-Tone Committee and, and those early 90s artists are responsible for the first wave of brave Scottish accent and voice and storytelling in, in rap, you know? Um, and then I guess the second wave is the it's probably the early 2000s, um, which is the stuff that we were doing 
and Loki and Gasp, the being all these sorts of guys, um, Word and uh, Mad Hat and all the that sort of uh, quite a, there was suddenly a big influx of folks all, all around that time again making inroads and and broadening and widening the sort of reach of it, you know, and it all ties a lot of it I think ties to Scottish people seeing our own selves reflected back at us in the media. And problems that we have with that. <laughs> was, there any, was there any other doubt in your mind about you know doing hip hop in a Scottish accent? I've heard other artists speak about it, and they thought you know the first few times I done it, I was putting on this American twang. I'm not too sure what state in America, but I certainly sounded more American than Scottish. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah, I did exactly the same thing when I started. So, my, I mean, rap for me started. Um, my the first hip hop I got into was in the early like nineties, and it was Snoop Dogg and. House of Pain and Cypress Hill and all this sort of stuff, you know. And the first rapping that we did was sitting with a bottle in the park in Airdrie and with your pals, you know, and making up rhymes. Everybody doing verses from like Snoop Dogg, Lodi Doddy, and all this sort of stuff. And it was like, so you were doing it, you were doing it word for word, but they were doing an accent for accent, you know. Um, and then gradually, my listening practices moved from West Coast to East Coast. I really got into the lyrical elements of, of sort of the more dense New York rap styles and gradually I, then I eventually found there was people in the UK doing it and finally I realised there was people in Scotland doing it and it was that very slow round the world process you know because it was, it was pre-internet you weren't you couldn't just dive on and see what other people were up to um, and in terms of finding your voice it's that's a period of time I definitely started rapping in an American accent and then my, I think my storytelling got better before my delivery so then I started maybe telling two stories about where I came from, but and then still in a fake American accent, and then suddenly you hear it and realise that doesn't work, you know. And then but you have where, to sort of develop it. When was the first time you you recorded yourself in a Scottish accent? Then were you were you thinking back? This sounds good, or were you a bit sketchy about putting it out there? Because I think when in any type of music, you know, when especially with the the genre that you do, you're putting a lot of your personal thoughts and feelings down on paper. You know, it's it's such an open book. You're exposing yourself and in yourself as a person to an audience you know it's, it's quite a brave thing to do I, I can remember it, the change because I, I was playing in a band a different band um, at this point um, around about 2000 early 2000s around about the year 2000 I think and then um, I'd changed I'd, I'd, we'd been rehearsing these songs I had an American accent and then we went and recorded one and I was, I'd made my decision and I recorded it in my own voice although it still wasn't as brave or as honest probably as it became so it was but it was on the spectrum towards sounding like like yourself um and i remember like my pal that we were playing the band with going nah you've ruined that <laughs> you know, you know? <laughs> so it took it took it takes a while and i think i mean it takes a while anyway as a vocalist to find your voice because your delivery voice isn't necessarily exactly the same as your speaking voice and it's about being comfortable, you know, like everybody feels uncomfortable when we hear ourselves recorded back. You know, if you hear a phone message or something, you hear your own voice and it makes... That's you- what I sound like, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So so it takes a long time to get comfortable with how you sound. Um, and I just think in Scotland with accent, there's like a... It's not the only place in the world, but there's, a, there's an added layer of complexity where, you know, like back to the 80s, there was no... Nobody... St- it was only the proclaimers even sang in a Scottish accent, so even our music wasn't in our own voices. Yep. And it's been this slow, gradual spectrum of getting more comfortable hearing 
Scottish accent and song. And I think there's also that thing, you know, if, if you're in Scotland, you're, you've got a wee bit of an inferiority complex and maybe that's down to because there is a lack of regional voices, you know, on the television and music. It's like, ah, that, that's not really what the, the masses want to hear because they're so used to hearing, you know, a, an American accent or a New York accent or a London accent that it's, it almost puts us back into our box a wee bit as well. It definitely does, man. Um, I mean, I think I'm not that fussed about what accent people choose to sing in because I think there's a bit more flexibility with melody. Um, but I think um, because of the authenticity thing in hip-hop and it being so so like a core element of hip-hop being about sort of truth and realness and it also becomes about like telling your story, then your own voice becomes more important. Yep. Um, so it used to be more of an indicator of authenticity. I think there's been some really interesting conversations within the Scottish hip-hop community about this recently because um, it's become such a hard-fought thing to be able to like make music in your own accent and your own voice and not be laughed at. Um, that it's been this sort of like one of the major ways of of rep of identifying realness and honesty. But in an increasingly multicultural and diverse Scotland, there's lots of people here who are Scottish who don't necessarily have that traditional Scottish accent anymore, especially in the cities. You know, if you weren't born here but you live here, you're Scottish, but you might not sound immediately to be Scottish. So then it goes back again to a much more varied um, and diverse range of accents, I think. That's just an interesting point, actually, because it's, it's probably something that people don't take into consideration as much as they should. You mentioned the, the Scottish hip-hop community there. Are you all quite supportive of each other? Is it, or is it a bit dog-eats-dog? Is, is, you know... I, I mean, I think it is a supportive community. Um, like any community, there's a whole range of different voices. But I think, generally speaking, um, the, com- the, the, the sort of producers of the music and the consumers of the music are often all, all the same people. Like, um, I'm a hip-hop fan. I listen to everybody's work as well as making my own. Um, it makes sense to share that as far and wide as you can. You know, the, yep. the more it, people it reaches, um, the more people become aware of it and the bigger it becomes. That's it. So, There's something nice. really putting your arm around somebody as well and saying, listen, if we all help each other out here, we're going to get a wee bit further in life. And I think you see that often from different... You know, I'm trying to take a good example just now, but there's often little cultures in different places in the world where, you know, music all spurs out of that place. You know, you, you can go back to Detroit where, you know, certain dance music or whatever, and it looks as if these people have supported each other to get that bit further. And if they didn't, you know, then they might just be pissing in the wind. It might just be one person and it's a bit odd. So especially totally in something niche like hip-hop, it should be something that I think you should be all shouting for each other. Yeah, and I think if one person's winning, everybody's winning. If You know, if there's, like, see, just now, the... Um, Scottish Album of the Year awards so that and the uh, Scottish Alternative Music Awards are the two biggest um, opportunities of the year I would say to be able to shine a light on the work that you're doing Um, and I think they're really important for smaller musical styles and communities because they allow you to access national press in ways that otherwise you wouldn't so, and and it, but and, and um, with this with the Scottish Album of the Year awards, it's very seldom that hip hop's represented there. Really, in the last um, what I don't know how many years, maybe nine, ten years, it's been running. 
Um, so in that time, Stanley Odd was shortlisted for it. Hector Berserk was shortlisted for it. Young Fathers have won it twice. That's amazing, eh? Um, this year, Nova Scotia, the truth is is long-listed so far and hopefully will go further than that. Um, and I think that's brilliant. I'm delighted for her. Um, but everybody sort of gains from that. The more representation there is of um, different styles, and in this case, hip-hop, that, that puts it into the national press. It means people that otherwise would never have heard it, hear it. It's going to be on the radio. It will be in the background and people will start to pick up on it. And everyone wins there. It's great to see as well, isn't it? It's really great to see. You mentioned uh, that, you know, you, in your early days, you were really influenced by, you know, New York hip-hop as well. And it's gone back a good few years now, Dave, but I believe that you guys went over, you won the Nordoff Robbins Award, they went over and played in New York and then made a kind of mini tour of the US as well, eh? We, we did, aye. It worked out really well, man. Um, that was 2013, I think. Um, so, yeah, we, we went... Um, when we won the award, then we we were... Uh, it was arranged for us to go and play. There was a it was Scotland week, right. so we played we played at a venue in Manhattan for that. Uh, we played we played the original thing was playing one date when you got there, which was in a townhouse in the sort of as you walked into a townhouse in Manhattan, which was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then we play we had another gig lined up for that and a support gig with a view. Right. Uh, and then we had a word with the view before we went and ended up jumping on a few dates for their tour, oh, which meant that we ended up playing in Boston uh, and we played at the Knitting Factory in Brooklyn and a couple of amazing venues, really good sized venues in, in Manhattan as well. So yeah, it turned in, into a really good wee run of shows. That's amazing. How did you find Scotland Week? I went over a few years ago to New York with uh, Natalie, my girlfriend, and we never knew that was on until we went and we were having a look to see what was on and we went down to Fifth Avenue and see everyone in the tartan marching down the street. I thought, this is absolutely surreal but brilliant at the same time. Yeah, it was cool, man. It was cool. We actually, we played in Central Park as well now, I think of it. So we played oh, in Central Park like on an outdoor stage during Scotland Week as well. It was it was a great opportunity. Um, it was it was amazing to play some of the venues because they're classed some really classic venues um, from a hip-hop fan's perspective as well. It was nice to play in Brooklyn. Um, it was great to play a bunch of gigs in Manhattan. So over overall, it was an excellent experience. It was also kind of surreal because, like, when we played in Boston, a couple of like just a handful of folks had travelled to see us because they were already fans of the band, which was nice. So it was like, and and because America's as vast as it is, they were like travelling from different states, like driving for several hours or whatever, you know, which to us would seem massive, but to them would seem small. That's so distance. good. That's brilliant. So that's no, a great, great experience. What was it like with the view? Because I can imagine they might have tried to lead you astray once or twice. The, the view were great, lads. Um, they, I mean, they were coming to the end of a big tour, so um, they'd 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 already travelled right from from west to east, right across the country. So I think they were, I think they were quite fatigued, but they they were great, lads. Their shows were excellent, um, and they they certainly. Certainly had a blowout on their last date, <laughs> which was the one in Manhattan. <laughs> it happened to be our last day there. Uh, but I, yeah, it was quite entertaining. <laughs> then was it was it the year after? Was that 2014? You know, that it, obviously your, your next album came out. And you, from the outside looking in, Dave, it seemed that 2014 was just a, a total roller coaster for you guys. Like constantly on the up, especially with the Independence referendum. I almost feel that, you know, Son of OTGS became an unofficial anthem for that campaign. And 
actually listen back to it, this might sound a bit pathetic for those that voted no or for those that are listening from outside the uh, central belt of Scotland, but I, listening back to that song now, I still get quite emotional because it, it reminds me of a time where, you know, people put so much time and energy into a, a campaign and, and were left with a bit of disappointment, but that song that year for you as a band must have been absolutely huge. It was a bit of a roller coaster that year, man. I mean, we also put out, we, we worked too hard in a lot of ways. We put out an EP in, in Easter and then we put out the full album in November and um, and we were touring constantly. We were playing, just playing non-stop. Uh, and then obviously as the um, indie debate sort of gathered pace, there was more and more calls for, for conversation about it. We'd been writing about it since, like for three or four years. You know, marriage counselling in uh, in twenty twelve and, and anti heroic. So I, I've been writing songs about this way way back um, years earlier, and I'd been sort of discussing it and engaging with it. And obviously, it really gathered pace towards the um, towards uh, September twenty fourteen. So it was a, it was an amazing experience. I think for like for everybody in Scotland, and certainly for everybody that was involved in um, discussing it and, and and answering questions about it and uh, and and playing to people about it, it was also exhausting and um, exciting, exhilarating, terrifying. All these sorts of things going on, you know. And it really did build for us. It was great to play the Usher Hall a couple of days before it, um, before the vote. Um, with with some other excellent bands, and you like could really feel the momentum. Rabbit and and the likes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I fighting rabbit and Mogwai, um, Franz Ferdinand, um, a bunch of others. Yeah, no, it was it was that was a great night. And then obviously, like you said, there was that feeling of deflation afterwards of um, just like not really knowing where to go next. I think it took me a long time to get over, longer than I realised to get over the the result. Um. Yeah, so it was a it was a it was a interesting year. <laughs> did you think that that track would take off the way that it did? Because it seemed to be getting shared everywhere, didn't it? At the time, it was very much you know. It, it, it did. I, it, I, it did. I, it did take off, and I, I know I didn't think it would. Um, the reason I wrote the track was we were writing the album still through the summer, and I knew it was coming out in November, and the referendum was in September, and I was like, how can you not write about this? But how can you write about it? So have it be relevant on an album that comes out after the referendum so that's how I came at that sort of right okay so I'll write it as a as a letter to my wee boy to explain how I'm feeling about it and where my thoughts are um, and it sort of allowed me to sort of do that and, I, and use a lot of children's metaphors and all those sorts of things but also sort of lay out some ideas about it and then just timing wise man it just happened to come I think we put it out a couple of weeks before which again there was no plan to it it was just when it was done and I did the video myself I felt set a camera up and just wrote the words and then sped them up so it was all it was very DIY you know and it just sort of happened to come together just at the right time I think Are the full band quite supportive of your you know political views or, or your social conscience because I could be wrong here Dave but I'm sure that I read previously that you're from all over the place you've even got someone from Norway in the band as well yeah, Runa, Runa's from Norway, although he's lived here for the last uh, 18 years, uh, and Tilo's from Stuttgart, but he's lived here for the last 20 years as well. Um, and and yeah, the rest of the band are um, dotted, originally from dotted from west to east across central Scotland. Um, everybody's got their own diverse opinions, man. Um, 
there's some robust debates sometimes <laughs> within right. the band. Um, but that's good. That's all good. And and certainly I would never put words into other people's mouths, you know, like I think, but at the same time, they know the songs before they're coming out. So if anybody's got anything to say about them, they're welcome to. And I think it's such an interesting thing as well, because, you know, like I've played in bands myself. And I know sometimes if you took lyrics to some one they might say, you know, you're no, we're not putting this out as this band, and and obviously you had a solo project later. I wasn't sure if that was maybe something to do with this. Gives me more opportunity to express myself on my solo album that I wouldn't actually say in a Stanley Odd record. I mean, the solo album did do that. Um, not so much about lyrical content, but I think in terms of stylistically, it, it just allowed me to do that more like straight up hip hop approach to stuff. It's got longer verses and shorter choruses. Um, you know, and um, it's got it's got bars for bars' sake. Sometimes there's some tunes where it's like you're just enjoying the wordplay and the rhythms and patterns, and things that maybe I wouldn't do with a Stanley Odd track, or I might keep might be like with a Stanley Odd track. Maybe we'll keep this to sixteens, but here I can do twenty four or thirty two bars a, a verse or things like that. So it definitely allowed those options. Um, it's funny because I mean. If, like on paper, Stanley Ott hasn't released a record for six years, but um, we we put the Solar Eye record out, which was very much for me still a Stanley Ott project in 2018, you know. And so, and, and then we did actually in 2016, I think, when we put out It's All Gone to Fuck, that was when we, we were sort of gearing up to do the record, and then it, it took a bit longer. So, everybody's been working on projects. It feels like f- for us, although six years have passed since an album's been out we've all been still busy doing and making things. It's just the projects have maybe changed a wee bit. It was probably about six years since the Chase Yourself record as well, wasn't it, the EP? Aye, yeah. I mentioned uh, Frightened Rabbit there, and, and Scott obviously done the artwork for that, I believe. Is that correct? Eh? That's that's right, aye. It's, yeah. a, it's one of my favourite, if not probably my favourite bit of Stanley Odd artwork. So that was Adam, the, our bass player, just just mentioned to Scott, do you fancy drawing a scabby dug for us for this uh, for this uh, single, and then it just it just came out like that. I think I don't know if I've got it. I've usually got a copy on my record player somewhere. No, I've not got one there just now. But the thing that's really nice about it is it the dog chases its tail when you put the vinyl on. <laughs> so you know, you know, because it's just like going like that round in a circle. So you put the record on and the, the dog chases its tail around the record. That's really clever. And I mean, not, not, cool. not to go off on a tangent, but you know, I believe Scott's legacy in Scottish music will, will last forever. You know, a, an absolute Indeed. gentleman, you know, that's been, you know, totally respected across the music scene. And it's obviously a very sad situation now, but supposed to have him play a, a part in, you know, Stanley Odd history as well must be quite special. Yeah, it was really nice, and he just, um, I think he'd done the whole artwork before he'd heard any of the music, you know, we told him this is what we would like, so he drew us a dug, and that was, <laughs> it was done before the the music was out, What's uh, uh, which was cool, but I, it's a beautiful wee piece of artwork, I'm delighted to have it. That's amazing, it's really, really cool. What can we expect for the, the new album that's coming out then? Um, well, I, I tell you what, I think it's the best bit of work we've ever done. Um, I think it's the most us and the least caring about kind of um, what other people make of it, which is nice. Um, especially because I still think it's, a, it's decent, even though it's kind of coming from that place. Um, it's going to, The album's going to be called Stay Odd, which sort of sums up the whole sort of resilience and uh, 
um, staying true to being weird, wonderful and um, awkward outcasts that I think everybody is, that's sort of that resonant weirdness. Um, and w- people will have heard a fair bit of it by the time it's out. So it's a 14-track record, mm-hmm. but we've put out four so far this year and we'll do another couple, you know. So I reckon we'll have six or seven of the songs out as singles before the album comes out. And I think um, the odds a great slogan for you guys as well, isn't it? It's almost been the re- reoccurring theme from your uh, inception right up until the current date. And, you know, you've had it on merch, you've had it obviously in the new video as well and the graffiti and stuff. It's It seems to really, really fit your your mould. It does. I think I, it sums up in two words kind of the whole f- concept behind Stanley Odd. You know, it's for oddballs um, and outcasts and awkward folks. Um, and everybody it's the universal oddness that everybody can feel sort of thing that's that's the idea behind it um so stay stay odd does kind of sort of champion that i think the record is about lots of different things a whole variety of different things like you were saying about kill switch um it's kind of about the magic of everyday things and just like sort of uh, looking at them from different perspectives and telling stories what does a band like stanley odd think then when you're releasing an album because well, you, you've mentioned there, you know, we don't really care if other people like it, you know, as we are really, really proud of our work. But when you're releasing an album, I'd imagine, you know, if you're you're looking at the top of the tree, the likes of your Ed Sheeran's or whoever, they're thinking, right, we want to smash number ones in every single country and we want to sell out, you know, tens of thousands of people every night. But what what do you want to get from it? Is it just a self point of, you know, we, we're really happy with the work we've put out or do you think we want this to grow to a bigger audience? So what, what's the kind of goals for that? Um... I mean, I definitely want it to grow, man. I think I have to be realistic about that, about the avenues and spaces and places it can get to. And a lot of that is down to who's willing to play it out and how far it can reach. Um, The ultimate goal, I think, for Stanley Odd has always been to recoup enough to be able to keep doing what you're doing. So to pay people's bills um, and, and to... Because that buys you the time to make your art, you know? So, I mean, there's, like, we live in a capitalist paradigm, whether we like it or not, and and therefore it needs people's investment in it, and people do invest in it, thankfully, and we're really grateful for that, but, you know, it needs... It needs enough people to like what you're doing and to feel that they want to be a part of it in some way um, that you can make the next one. Yep. And that's kind of it. Buying you basically buying paying for your time, <laughs> so you can keep doing it. And I, I think you, you touched on it there when you were talking about the records. You know, and the dog chasing its tail. I, I could be totally wrong here, but I, I feel that people that are into hip hop and you know into your your, your group because they tend to buy vinyls as well. They tend to buy physical copies. It's not as if it's the type of people that are just always going on Spotify and, and iTunes and and downloading things for free. It's almost like they really really support that you know art and support the people that are involved in it. I think I I think you're, the best thing is to be able to have a percentage of your fan base that are willing to that are willing to and interested in having the physical product because music music has been devalued so much now, man. Um, that that no, like generally speaking, people don't ascribe value to music, you know. And I think what other industry would that ever happen? You know, it's it's absolutely criminal. It's mad. It's madness because, like, see, and I think COVID has actually affected this as well, right? Because, um, so because we've had such a influx since March of like 
us all, and we're doing it too, releasing music online, releasing music online, live music performances pieced together and all this sort of stuff. People can't even bring themselves now to click play on a free piece of music on on a on their social media. Right. You know, because we're bombarded with it, right? Mm-hmm. So like you could get a situation where like you've spent like weeks and months like crafting something and really shaping it and redrafting it and then producing it and everybody records their parts. You put that up, you give it out for nothing. You give it away for absolutely nothing and people can't be bothered to hit play. <laughs> <laughs> You know, <laughs> down like that, it's it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? And and, and you're you've hit the nail on the head. This because often it's saturated, and, and it, these online platforms make it so much easier for people to put out music. Not necessarily always good quality music, but you know, any anyone can chuck together a song nowadays. They they can, and I think the the democratization of music production is a brilliant thing. Um, so the means of production has come to everybody. Um, the means of distribution has come to everybody. So instead of needing a physical distributor to get your records in shops um, everyone can get it up online um, but actually where the bottleneck sits at the moment I think is with the social media giants whereby you can have like 7,000 people say that they like what you're doing and you post something on Facebook and unless you pay them they'll only show it to five people <laughs> you know so so the bottleneck then lies with the, the actual um, the final stage of where people engage with the media or else they don't know it's there so I think that's that's an interesting avenue that we need to look at just now. Um, it's also interesting to see how people um, react to different things. It was brilliant to work with Panda. I feel like Panda really fits in with the whole stay odd. Me and him were talking about that, but the, like his big heads are, are basically another version of stay odd. You know, they're like that's about cool. sort of challenge, and then but also if you, I love to read his thoughts that he puts down on his Instagram page because. He's, he's aware of how like street art and graffiti change the fabric of the spaces and places we walk through, yep. you know, and, and therefore graffiti artists are consciously trying to improve and affect the visuals of the city. So it was great to work with Panda on that and then have that element of the video come together at the same time, you know. It's almost a different way of shutting art down, you know, of trying to... Uh, pull money out of artists as well as you know you, you touch on Panda there and you talk about graffiti and he's totally changing the visual, visual outlook of somewhere like Glasgow but mm. at the end of the day a lot of the time it's illegal so it's you know what why are why are you know governments or why are local councils not recognizing you know this is actually adding a lot of value to this place you know it's essentially making people happier I know man I thought I thought Socky Hall Street up at the ABC was looking magic I thought it was looking brilliant I, I love that piece he did there were so many good pieces up there. There were so many things, and it's already been buffed. It's all gone. Right. So that that like since that piece of art that he did for us, within two weeks it was gone. Um, yeah. And, I think and, and it's something like COVID. As much as it's been a horrendous situation for many, you know, it's some of these you know graffiti and street artists that you've seen. They've almost put a wee bit of a smile or a bit of positivity into, into people's lives by the the messages that they've put out there for the NHS workers or the frontline workers or you know even just plays on words that have made people smile you know it's mm-hmm. totally man yeah absolutely and i think it also highlights how many empty spaces we've got in the city centers you know like that's another thing panda writes about that that bhs building that is regular got stuff thrown up on it then it's been empty for years and years and years you know so so many of the spaces that they're changing are, are just um sort of abandoned spaces you know it's funny, it's, and it's only through, in my opinion, art that it, it brings a, 
a light on this, shines a light on this. It's, it's a bit of a shame, you know. Hopefully, through music, through graffiti, through you know, anything along those lines, it, it can be something that we can we can help make a difference with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure, Dave. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, I'm absolutely gutted that the, the gigs didn't go ahead this year. I was meant to be coming to see you in Glasgow with a, a few friends, and obviously, oh, man. but I'm, I'm sure it'll be very much worth the wait. Yeah, I hope so, man. Um, as soon as we, I mean. Like I say, we're in talks about dates, most dates just now for March, but I'm also hearing people feeling like that maybe won't happen, more broadly speaking, across the sector, so we'll need to wait and see. But yeah, hopefully we'll actually be able to see people in real life again and play some gigs sometime next year. Nice one. I'm very much looking forward to the, the album coming out next year as well. And for anyone that hasn't heard the, the latest single, uh, got on Stanley Odd and all social uh, media channels, you'll be able to check them out there. Uh, If you've not done so already, please like and subscribe to this podcast and thanks very much for listening.